Hey there, it's your favorite podcaster coming at you with an amazing discovery. You know how frustrating it can be when you're trying to stream a 4K video only to have it buffer and buffer and buffer some more? Well, let me tell you, I found the solution. I recently upgraded to the Asus Zen Wi-Fi XD5 mesh system and let me tell you, my Wi-Fi has never been better. The setup was super easy and I love the flexible network naming. But what really sets this router apart is the Wi-Fi 6 technology and I can now stream all my favorite shows and movies in the highest quality without any interruptions or buffering. And the best part? The lifelong free AI protection keeps my network secure and my mind at ease. With the Asus Zen Wi-Fi XT5 I get super fast, reliable and secure Wi-Fi connections in every corner of my home. Now I can finally work play and stream without any frustrating interruptions. So if you're ready to take your Wi-Fi game to the next level, head over to asus.click slash zenwifi underscore xd5 or check out the show notes of this episode. Trust me, with Asus Zen Wi-Fi XD5, you'll get the best Wi-Fi experience ever. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Amethyx Technologies based in Belgium. Today I'm speaking about deep learning and tabular data. And this is one of the most prominent topics. Uh, In fact, this has always been a very relevant topic to discuss on this show. And we have been publishing some episodes about tabular data and uh, in particular uh, using deep learning to generate uh, data that, you know, uh, resemble tabular data, you know, the B-dimensional data like uh, Excel sheets data uh, that you might think of. And uh, there is a problem there that when it comes to uh, deep learning models, uh, well, they are not that good uh, at predicting or at making inferences over tabular data or learning the geometry of tabular data when compared to other, um, let's say, off-the-shelf models, uh, let me put it like that, or non-deep learning models, uh, like, for example, ensemble models uh, based usually on decision trees. And uh, uh, we can think about XGBoost, for example, uh, or random force, which is probably one of the most used and uh, powerful methods um, out there, regardless of the, uh, of course, the evolution of deep learning and artificial intelligence or neural networks in particular as a a predictive uh, methodology. And so there is a problem, I would quote this, it's not a problem, it's just that, uh, you know, some methods are just better than others in particular situations. And this is one of those situations in which indeed, uh, apparently, um, uh, ensemble models predict better, you know, perform better predictions with respect to deep learning. And so the reason of this episode is to understand uh, why uh, is that the case, and of course, uh, also to uh, report some of the uh, some of the most recent work at uh, presented at NeurIPS 2022 uh, by a group of researchers. Uh, I will provide, of course, the uh, the link to the paper in the show notes of this episode, as always, uh, on the official website uh, datasciencesatome.com. Now, it happened to me many, many times that I got um, you know tabular data in front of me, and uh, especially uh, several years ago when deep learning was you know coming out and it was. Uh, you know, the cool method to to always have in your arsenal. Uh, I was so eager to 
try it out and to apply a neural network instead of the, the, the classic random forest. And uh, I would say that 90% of the time, if not more, uh, well, random forest performed much better than neural networks. And, and there was the disappointment because, uh, you know, I was asking myself, how come a, such a powerful method uh, that is, you know, su such a non-linear approximator like, like a neural network, and even trying to change the topology, increase the number of neurons, increase the number of synapses and layers, uh, optimizing the stochastic gradient descent uh, with different optimizers you know trying to squeeze all possible performance out of the out of that topology out of that network still didn't uh, make it better with respect to a highly optimized or an, e an equally optimized for example random forest and so um there has been you know this i, I i'm pretty sure it happened to many of you uh, out there uh there is a big, big problem out there, which is that neural networks are notoriously uh, difficult to learn uh, irregular patterns uh, of a particular target function. And so that's one fact that we uh, never have to forget whenever we use uh, neural networks and we are you know, in front of data that resemble tabular data or data that present uh, more irregular patterns than, uh, uh, than not. And that's exactly where, for example, uh, tree-based models uh, have a better inductive bias, uh, right, uh, with respect to uh, irregularities in the data or irregular patterns. So when I say inductive bias, just to make this episode self-contained, uh, you know, the definition of inductive bias is, you know, when a learning algorithm applies a set of assumptions um, in order to predict outputs given inputs that uh, it has not encountered before. And so that's what inductive bias is all about. Essentially, the capability to predict something over a data that the algorithm has never seen before. Uh, and so there is this form of, uh, uh, you know, in, in learning um, that is performed, indeed, what we call the learning of the algorithm or the generalization of that algorithm with respect to samples that we have never seen before. Another uh, big and very strong motivation uh, behind this work and also behind the question why off-the-shelf methods or ensemble methods like uh, decision trees and random forest and XGBoost, etc. are usually better than uh, even the most complex neural network out there when they are facing tabular data. Well, another big motivation is that, in fact, there's no standard benchmark when it comes to tabular data. We have a lot of let's say, um, de facto standards when it comes to, to when it comes to, for example, uh, computer vision, uh, classifiers, we've seen ImageNet and all these other models that are performed over, a, you know, very well-known data sets when it comes to recognizing objects from an image, um, even benchmarks uh, measured, for example, against uh, NLP uh, uh, data sets that are kind of de facto standards uh, as, you know, benchmark data sets uh, nowadays uh, in order to assess, for example, the uh, quality of a particular uh, language model um, task. 
So that's that's the first thing. So what this group of researchers uh, has been doing is uh, essentially creating a benchmark for tabular learning. And uh, uh, in order to create a benchmark for tabular learning, you know, that's the first big step that any research group has to perform whenever they want to study something about, um, you know, that is not in the literature yet. Well, they have to create that literature. They have to create the conditions to run experiments and then, of course, uh, measure uh, certain metrics that are that can be specific to that experiment but of course the quality of the study uh, also you know depends on how general uh, or how applicable these metrics can be uh, you know when you start diverging a bit from the experiment and trying to generalize it and cover different sectors and you know make it a principle in fact so there are several things that one has to observe uh, when it comes to creating a benchmark and uh, I am pretty sure that this research group made it all correct for what I understand from the paper which is also a very interesting read and uh, relatively easy um, and something that can be done in less than an hour probably. The very first thing is to compile a list of data sets from different domains uh, and uh, that are selected according to some criteria. The first is heterogeneous columns, so columns that should correspond to features of different nature, all right? And so this is something that facilitates usually you know, coverage of the physical phenomenon that, one's, that one uh, is trying to, uh, to cover to, to, uh, to study. Um, non, not high-dimensional, uh, so it doesn't have to be high-dimensional. Because in that case, of course, we will be facing, uh, we will be landing towards the other, uh, let's say, scenario in which we notoriously know that, for example, neural networks perform uh, when it comes to very high dimensional data, though that's not always, uh, not always the case. Um, uh, they also removed stream-like datasets or time series, so uh, this means that data were considered uh, IID, independent and identically distributed. Uh, Real-world data is another criterion to, to they have used to select or to build this, uh, uh, you know, bun uh, this 45 tabular datasets, uh, and of course not too easy. Um, so data don't have to be kind of trivial. Um, usually, these kind of data come from uh, simulations or you know very simplistic experiments in which uh, even with a naked eye or with a good eye, one can kind of uh, infer the trend of some variables uh, by observing some others. Um, and of course, not deterministic. That's also something that would otherwise facilitate too much the experiment and therefore, uh, you know, would falsify a bit the results. Um, another important list of uh, um, observations that uh, the research group has been doing uh, is about missing data. So they removed all missing data from the data sets. Um, and this is due to, a, I would say, a simplification of the experiment. Because when you in insert missing data or well, well, when you assume there are missing data in your data set, uh, well, you might be landing towards a you know, all these family of methods that allow you to, um, you know, complete or fill in missing data. And there are so many methods with different performances and different scenarios. So it would be extremely hard to understand why that data set is, you know, uh, there is a better inductive bias on that data set with or without um, uh, missing data 
uh, or with or without um, um, completion of the missing data. So they uh, removed them uh, completely so that you know no method should be used to uh, to complete the data. Um, another uh, important observation is about balanced classes. Uh, so you know the data sets are all perfectly balanced. I would say this is not really a you know, realistic condition. Um, in fact, in the real world, it never ever happens that uh, data are perfectly balanced, uh, or there is even in a multi-class system that they are all perfectly balanced. That's usually never the case. Um, and of course, low cardinality categorical features and high cardinality numerical features. These are probably one of the most important, uh, two of the most important ones. Uh, that is, they remove categorical features with more than 20 uh, items, and they remove numerical features with less than 10 unique values. So this is kind of to harmonize a bit the data uh, in their diversity. And now let me tell you something important. Cyber criminals are evolving. Their techniques and tactics are more advanced, intricate, and dangerous than ever before. Industries and governments around the world are fighting back, unveiling new regulations meant to better protect data against this rising threat. Today, the world of cybersecurity compliance is a complex one, and understanding the requirements your organization must adhere to can be a daunting task. But not when the pack has your back. Arctic Wolf, the leader in security operations, is on a mission to end cyber risk by giving organizations the protection, information, and confidence they need to protect their people, technology, and data. Their new interactive compliance portal helps you discover the regulations in your region and industry and start the journey toward achieving and maintaining compliance. Visit arcticwolf.com slash data science to take your first step. That's arcticwolf.com slash data science. Okay, so um, with this said, uh, what they tried to do was, um, you know, just having these 45 uh, tabular data sets, well, the idea was, okay, let's start measuring who performs the best. And so they selected a bunch of uh, models. Uh, they started with three based models. Uh, by choosing three kind of state-of-the-art models that are currently used by practitioners, if you are on Kaggle or you have been competing on Kaggle, you will see that these three based models are very, very, uh, very much used. And, and usually they are kind of winning, in fact, or definitely in the top 10, um, if not mm, even better. Uh, and among these methods, there is, of course, a random forest. That's probably the most used method overall. There is gradient boosting trees or GP, uh, GBT, uh, and uh, of course there's XGBoost. Now XGBoost, uh, extra gradient boosting, uh, is probably one of the most powerful uh, methods out there. And uh, again, if you go on Kaggle, you will see a lot of uh, uh, you know Kaggle winners, even Kaggle masters. They use a lot XGBoost, uh, if not you know uh, as a single model, also in an ensemble of models. You XGBoost usually plays a very very prominent role. When it comes to deep models, uh, they proceeded with uh, MLP, uh, which is a, a multi-layer perceptron, so it's pretty simple uh, net neural network, uh, one-layer network, um, and of course ResNet, uh, which is very similar to MLP, uh, plus some dropout or some batch normalization, layer normalization, and you know something a bit more uh, fancy with respect to a, a plain MLP model. 
They used NFT transformer, uh, which uh, is currently considered a best case for deep learning models on tabular data, according to another paper. Uh, it's essentially a transformer model combined with a module uh, embedding categorical and numerical features so that a neural network can understand, you know, can operate better on categorical and numerical features. Just so you know, uh, when I tried um, several years ago uh, playing with numerical data, sorry, with the categorical data and tabular data and deep learning models, uh, it became pretty obvious that uh, deep learning models were quite painful to train uh, when it come when they're in front of uh, a categorical data. Uh, so this is something that I already knew, you know, uh, empirically uh, by experience. Uh, but to be honest, I did not know what was one of the theories uh, or probably speculations behind you know, the reason why uh, that's exactly the case. And in this paper, uh, probably this paper helped me a bit in clarifying this, uh, this point very much. Um, the last model I used was uh, Saint, uh, a transform another transformer model uh, with an embedding module, uh, module and uh, intersample attention mechanism. Uh, and they used this also because it was the best performing deep model uh, that performs also well on tabular data, according to another paper uh, published uh, in the same year, 2022. So what they um, measured, and uh, if you look at the paper, you will see the usual graphs in which you know you have the um, the comparison of all these methods in uh, in one graph, and um, you will see very clearly that uh, gradient boosting and random forest are usually uh, at the you know the top are always on the podium, <laughs> if I can say that. Um, and following, of course, there is uh, FT Transformer and ResNet, and MLP is following all of them, so it's kind of the, the worst uh, you know, prediction that you can perform comes from MLP. And uh, so there are two, uh, there are two important results that uh, um, you know the research group uh, brought back home. Uh, the take-home message was that uh, tuning hyperparameters usually does not make neural networks state of the art, and this is kind of one of the biggest misconception out there. That if one spends enough time or enough effort in tuning hyperparameters of a network, um, you know, he will he or she will have some chances to make the neural network state of the art. Well, that's not exactly uh, what happens. So, uh, tree-based models are uh, superior for every random search budget, and uh, the performance gap uh, apparently stays uh, quite wide even after. Uh, a relatively large number of random search iterations. Uh, and so, you know, this means that you can tweak and tune as much as you want, but most of the time a tree-based model uh, will, uh, will beat you to the ground. <laughs> um, the second fact, um, you know, sec second take-home message is about categorical variables. So we all believed, and myself included here, um, from an empirical examination of the um, of this uh, scenario, that categorical variables are uh, the main weaknesses of neural networks. Apparently, categorical variables are not the main weakness of neural networks, and. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I was also surprised um, because uh, usually, you know, I was so sure that was kind of a, the major problem for using neural networks on tabular data, you know, because most of the time the tabular data I was dealing with had uh, categorical columns and so categorical variables. And I said, okay, well, I have to 
I will try to encode this data somehow, or I will to I will start to make this data continuous, usually with a Gaussian mixture. So you take a category and you convert that category into a probability uh, with you know floats essentially. So you have like uh, it becomes a continuous variable or a bunch of continuous variables. Um, and even there, uh, it didn't really help that much. Uh, so what they realized from these experiments is that most of the gap between uh, tree-based models and neural network neural networks um, uh, exists when learning on numerical features only. Apparently, so uh, you know the that was another thing that kind of shocked me, and uh, uh, I believe this is the correct answer to to my doubts. Um, so when we want to, you know, be critical about this work, uh, we get to the core of the paper, uh, the core of the research, which, uh, you know, is essentially brutally <laughs> the question that says, why do tree-based models still outperform deep learning on tabular data? And well, this, uh, uh, you know, this question, in fact, can be asked again or reframed as uh, which features of tabular data make this type of data easy to learn with tree-based methods and yet more difficult with a neural network. Because they both, you know, both methods, of course, learn something out of the data. They, 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 the inductive bias, uh, higher or, sl or smaller in, in, in both cases, both methodologies, it still learns some kind of geometry from the data, that's for sure. But there are some conditions and some, let's say, uh, characteristics of the data that uh, it makes it easier for a tree-based method to learn uh, and easier with respect to uh, the equivalent neural network. So I guess that's the question that uh, the research group is asking here and it's probably one of the most uh, interesting questions that I've been reading about uh, in the last uh, few years. So there are several findings, two in particular are in my opinion uh, very, very important and worth mention. Um, neural networks are biased to smooth solutions. Okay, that's something that is extremely important and always to keep in mind whenever you are dealing with neural networks and data. I repeat, neural networks are biased to smooth solutions. All right, so this means what? This means that neural networks have the tendency to learn better from data that are you know, kind of regular. They have regular patterns in the in the target function. When you start introducing irregular patterns in the target function, that's where uh, neural networks start struggling. Okay, that's the take-home message. And so they proved this, you know, in an empirical fashion. Uh, I would say with a very smart and very clever methodology by smoothing the output, the target uh, function, the target output with a Gaussian kernel smoother uh, for varying length scale values of the kernel. So you can have like uh, a more or less smoothed um, uh, or washed out uh, target function. And uh, this effectively prevents models from learning irregular patterns of the target function. And so what happened is that, well, for small length scales, so when you smooth uh, the target function slightly, uh, smoothing the target function on the train set decreases the accuracy of tree-based models, but barely impacts that of neural networks. And so these results suggest just one thing, that the target functions in the data sets are not smooth. And that, of course, neural networks struggle to fit 
irregular functions compared to tree-based models. And this is something that I would say, and also the research group says, it's quite in line with, um, with other uh, research or independent research. Uh, several researchers and research groups are telling the same story, uh, which makes me think that, you know, everybody's right here. <laughs> and so we should strongly take this uh, into consideration. So by uh, looking at the data, you know, the, this is a suggestion that I give to the empirical researcher or to the practitioner before throwing yourself uh, into the deep learning world, look at your data first, like try to understand uh, if your data is affected or the target function is affected by strong, irregular, strongly irregular patterns or not, because that would give you already a very interesting suggestion of what is the method that is most appropriate for that particular data set. And, and I know that sometimes, you know, we are all uh, pro deep learning, we all like very complex methods, we all like to, uh, you know, shoot a, a fly with a cannon, uh, as, uh, as the Chinese proverb says, you know, by using overly complicated or just fancy models, because you guess what, we have that GPU sitting on the desk, and we would like to use it or because when we publish a paper, uh, writing that we use the super fancy neural networks probably will gain more attention from the audience or from the readers with respect to saying, for example, you know, oh, I just used a, a simple random forest, and it just performed actually even better than the fancy neural network. So, you know, so I know sometimes this is painful to accept, especially for an, uh, a deep learning practitioner, but it is what it is. You know, it's like the best model is essentially very much bound to the particular data and to the irregularities and the geometry that that data uh, represents. The second finding is about uninformative features. Um, and that is features that essentially do not bring sufficient information uh, in order to predict the target function. And, you know, you can do these things, you can measure how important, uh, how important a particular feature is, again, by using random forest, uh, if you use the feature importance method provided by, uh, by random forest uh, methodology. And, you know, you would have just the list, the, sort, the sorted list sorted by uh, you know, index of importance or rate of importance, uh, you would, uh, you know, this would allow you to select the top most important features that contribute to predicting a particular target function. And so what they did, uh, well, for each data set, first of all, they dropped a larger and larger fraction of features according to, of course, uh, the feature importance rank. And then um, they um, realize, or well, they, they show, in fact, that gradient-boosting trees are not affected or not much affected by removing up to half of the features, right? So if you remove up to half of the features, that doesn't really affect uh, a gradient-boosting tree methodology. So it's very robust towards uh, uninformative features. While MLP-like architectures are not robust to uninformative features, and they realize that by uh, you know, by adding to the dataset uninformative features and see that that gap between neural network models and um, uh, tree-based models uh, was widening. You know, this gap was getting uh, bigger and bigger. And so that kind of led, led them to the conclusion that MLPs uh, are less robust to uninformative features when they are compared to, of course, um, uh, tree-based method, uh, tree methods.
So yeah, I think this is a, a very important uh, paper, uh, though uh, relatively simple. Uh, there is, you know, no rocket science, uh, but it's uh, a very sound methodology to assess um, what methods uh, is the most appropriate with respect to the data that you have in front of you. And as I said before, looking at the data first is usually uh, much more important than throwing yourself into the, the one method that you would like to use at all costs. Looking at the data first is a very interesting source that gives us suggestions about what to do next, right? I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to drop by our Discord channel. You will find the link on the official website, datascienceatom.com. I'll speak with you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.